Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you didn't realize before now, Alberta is oil country. The oil industry is one of the biggest industries in the country now, and it drives not only Alberta's economy, but is an important part of Canada's economy. Now this episode is not about the oil industry as it is right now, or the path it's going to take in the future. This episode is about the oil discovery that kick-started an entire industry throughout Western Canada. It is about an oil discovery that not only changed Alberta, but Canada. For years, Imperial Oil had been spending millions of dollars drilling 133 dry wells through the years leading up to 1947, finding only minor oil discoveries. At the time, Alberta could have been considered a have-not province, with its primary industry being agriculture for the most part. But all of that changed on February 13, 1947. But first, some background. For centuries, the First Nations people in the Alberta area would use oil for pitch in their canoes, or as a medical ointment. As settlers began to arrive in the 19th century, they began to notice that some areas had unusual odors, and a film could be seen on some water. William Heron would arrive in the Turner Valley area of the province, near Calgary, in 1911, and he knew those foul odors came from natural gas. And he convinced current MP R.B. Bennett, the future Prime Minister, and others to invest in a new business called Calgary Petroleum Products Company Limited, so they could develop the area for oil. When the company hit oil with their third well on May 14, 1914, it sparked an oil boom that saw 500 oil exploration companies formed within a few days. Most of these companies were shams to get money from investors who did not know that the fraudulent company owned no land and was not planning on drilling for oil. In 1924, a second major natural gas discovery happened when a well blew, causing a massive fire that burned for a month. In 1936, the first major crude oil discovery would happen in Turner Valley at a depth of 2 kilometers, the deepest well in Alberta at the time. By 1942, the oil field reached its peak production of 10 million barrels and had the distinction of being the largest oil field then known in the British Empire. The original oil discovery in 1914 would result in oil companies spending $150 million over the course of 30 years, amounting to about $2.2 billion today. No major reserves were found and the provincial government was forced to start issuing tax relief for oil companies to encourage further exploration. And this is where Imperial Oil came in, drilling those 133 wells I had mentioned. With no success coming from the well drilling, the company decided that it might be time to abandon the search by the mid-1940s and instead produce synthetic gasoline from natural gas. The geologists who worked for the company believed that greater reserves could be found at deeper depths, and they convinced the company to do one more drilling effort. The board of directors agreed, and Wildcat number 134 was drilled as a last-ditch effort. Now Ted Link, the lead geologist for Imperial Oil, spoke with his staff and everyone agreed that the best area to try was shaped like a triangle between Calgary and Edmonton and up to Grand Prairie. The company then purchased 200,000 acres of land southwest of Edmonton and began to survey the best area to drill. They came up with two candidate areas. One was near Pigeon Lake and the other was near Leduc. The team chose Leduc because it was close to major roadways in Edmonton. 
This was a good decision because the Pigeon Lake well was later dug and proved to be dry. On the farmstead of Mike Turta, a drilling site was chosen. Turta did not have the drilling rights, so Imperial Oil paid him $250 to lease his land, or about $3,500 per year today. This well would be the only one within 80 kilometers, and would be dug to a depth of 2,100 meters, and no more. The man who did own the mineral rights to the area was named Eric Harvey. He had moved to Calgary when he was 19, and after serving in the First World War and being wounded, he came home, and by the 1940s was interested in buying land around the Turner Valley oil fields. He was unable to get any of that, and the best he could do was a half a million acres of land around Leduc. Drilling would begin on November 20, 1946, but only small traces of oil and natural gas were found going down to a depth of 1,200 meters. Drilling would pass the Mesozoic depth, and indications were that there was large quantities of natural gas and a bit of oil. When drilling passed the Paleozoic era and the Devonian era, tests showed promising results at 1,500 meters. But the drilling was not easy and it took all winter. One story tells of a rig hand who worked an eight-hour shift on top of a derrick and found he could not move his leg to climb down. Apparently, a button on the trap door of his fleece-lined long johns had come undone, and the wind, along with minus 35-degree temperatures, had caused his buttocks to freeze. The people of the small community of Leduc were also very suspicious of the rough men who were working close to the community. The men were not able to get any service at the restaurant or the hotel in the community, and they had to live in makeshift housing through the winter, which was often very cold. On February 3, 1947, a test sent a geyser of oil shooting up half the height of the drilling derrick. With that, Imperial Oil knew there was oil to be found at this location. Vern Hunter, the lead of the drilling team, was asked by the company when they expected him to hit pay dirt with the well. He would say, The crew and I were experts at abandoning wells, but we didn't know much about completing them. I named February 13th and started praying. Hunter's son, who was 11 years old at the time, would say later on an anniversary of the date, It was really a little exciting, all right, but it didn't really hit us. We'd had so many disappointments, and we were afraid this would be another one. Vern would relate himself about that day. By the morning of February 13th, we had just started to swab, and the operation sometimes takes days. However, we crossed our fingers, and at daylight, started in. So they would try to swab quickly, and this would cause them to snap the shaft. Vern would go on to say, we didn't have time to wait for repairs, so we had to lay down the traveling block, spool the drilling line off the main drum, cut off the 2,000 feet of sand line that was in the hole, and spool the rest of the broken hoist onto the main drum. By noon, a crowd was gathered, and by 4 p.m., the less hardy had shivered their way back to town. Shortly after 4 p.m., the wellhead was cleared, and the 500 people who had gathered and braved the cold saw Leduc No. 1 spray oil into the air. The youngest member of the drilling crew was given the honor of flaring the well. As the crude oil and natural gas spewed out of the release pipe, the young man threw a burning sack on the mixture, sending flames 50 feet into the air. Imperial Oil released a small film about the strike in 1950, relating their success in the area. As soon as that first well blew in, things began to happen. Overnight, the roads were filled with traffic, oil workers, and trucks carrying pipes. I never saw so much pipe. And the landscape was changing. New derricks went up all around. 
night and day, good weather and bad, the work pressed forward. With more wells blowing in, the importance of the discovery was recognized. And the swell, the flow of oil, came a flow of investors' money to pay the cost of more and more drilling. In the Leduc field, each well costs about $100,000, and it takes six weeks to drill the 5,000-odd feet down to oil. A feeling of achievement carried the workers through the endless drilling, the changing of pits, and the lowering of drill pipe down, down, down to the bottom of the hole. Oil from the first producing wells at Leduc was shipped out by road. Trucks, big and little, old and new, pounded the roads, carrying the crude on the first leg of its journey to the refinery. The railway siding at the Duke suddenly became a terminal of importance. As the field grew, roads were improved to cope with the heavy traffic. Transit routes were taxed to the utmost, and a program of road improvement on a cost-sharing basis was undertaken by municipality, province, and oil company. After the discovery, other companies were soon in the area, drilling and bringing in wells. During the first year, wells came into production on an average of one every nine days, and almost half a million barrels of crude were produced. The rough pioneer days of the field were over. The Duke is a busy town these days. Oil workers have brought new trade, new prosperity. Stores have painted up. Signs of the new crop are all around. Services are expanding. New houses are mushrooming on the outer lots. Nice ones, too. Lots of fellows plying their trades more busily than they have in many a day. A whole new town called Devon. The change of pace doesn't show quite as much out our way. But it's there. For instance, we run our machinery and our automobiles cheaper than we used to. A man's harvest hasn't changed. And yet, the land he's known and worked is suddenly touched with mystery. Farmer and oil man, grain and crude oil. Two crops where there was one. It's strange and wonderful, this reaping of another harvest, rich and powerful, a mile below the wheat, this discovery was huge for Canada. At the time, the country only produced about 21,000 barrels per day, and that mostly came from Turner Valley. In contrast, the country was consuming about 210,000 barrels a day. In Alberta, production was 7.7 .7 million barrels per year from 416 wells, and 90% of the oil needed by Canadians was imported from the United States. With this discovery, all that changed. By 1956, 65% of the oil used by Canadians was produced within the country. And this was even though there was a three-fold increase in consumption. In that year, production was 144 million barrels from 7,390 productive wells, and Alberta produced 400,000 barrels per day. The discovery would lead to a huge increase in the estimates of how much oil was actually in Western Canada. In 1946, it was believed that there were 72 million recoverable barrels of oil in Western Canada. By 1957, that estimate had been increased to 3 billion, and today it is believed there's 77 billion barrels of oil in conventional reserves in Western Canada.
As for the original Leduc Woodbend Field, it would have its production peak in 1951, and an exploratory drilling would end around 1955. The field would produce 4.7 million barrels of oil in 1948, far past the production of Turner Valley. The field saw its peak around 20 million barrels of oil per year between 1953 and 1956, and in the first 50 years of the field, 250 million barrels were produced. Leduc No. 1 would continue to operate for another three decades. By that point, it had produced 317,000 barrels of oil and 323 million cubic feet of natural gas. Working in that oil field was no easy task, as this clip from CBC Radio in 1949 relates through a roughneck who worked in the rigs of Leduc. We heard that noise last Friday as Imperial Leduc 230 blew in. We've heard wells blowing in over 300 times in this Leduc field, and it's always a welcome sound, because for the young drilling company it means we've finished another job. You see, in this field, oil field here in the farmlands of Alberta, we drill about a mile straight down to reach the oil pool. From the day we spud in or start drilling, it takes on the average of about 30 days to finish the job. The oil flows into storage tanks, and we move the rig to another location. We're on a new location now, in the middle of the Leduc oil field. While we are drilling, we pump in a circulating fluid of mud that brings up the cuttings of rock from the drill bit. Right now I'm standing in my tool pusher's shack it, and it's just a few feet away from the drilling rig. It's 15 below this morning. That's 47 degrees of frost. There's about a foot of snow and a northwest wind. The sun won't be up for another hour yet, but we don't work by the sun here. Once we start drilling we work 24 hours a day, every day, including Sundays and holidays. It's a tough job working outside in the winter with the cold and the snow but if we stopped all our fluid lines would freeze up and there'd be all sorts of trouble we have all learned to take the bad with the good and all of us like the oil field so even though it's christmas day the graveyard shift is out there drilling 90 feet up in the derrick on the monkey board is the derrick man while out on the rig platform the driller and his three helpers are hustling to keep the hole moving down to that pool of oil. But we're not forgetting about Christmas. As soon as we're off shift, we'll be rushing home to our wives and kitties. The production of oil at Leduc and in Alberta had another big benefit. It caused a rapid population boom in the province. In 1946, Alberta had a population of 803,000 people, while Saskatchewan had a population of 833,000. In 1951, Saskatchewan population had not changed much, but Alberta had seen an increase of 140,000 people, and throughout the 1950s, Alberta's population would grow by another 400,000 people. Alberta also began to create communities around the oil boom areas, with an effort to ensure they did not become ghost towns after the oil was gone. Devon, located just west of Edmonton, was founded in 1949 by Imperial Oil. And Drayton Valley, the first model oil town in the province, was established with 100 people in 1954, and the community quickly expanded. The entire west was changed through Leduc No. 1, with new companies and mining ventures popping up almost overnight. In this clip from a story on the CBC program Thursday Night, it relates that change. New names on the map. Kitimat, B.C. 
Thompson, Manitoba, and still more unsuspected wealth beneath the wheat. Half the world's reserves of potash uncovered in Saskatchewan. vital water, the Columbia, Peace, the Saskatchewan, and the Nelson River systems to power the developing West and to accelerate the shift of its people from the land to cities. between Montreal and Vancouver and the center of the old grain trade is an accurate reflection of a changed west. The long trains loaded with prairie grain bound for Europe belong to the past. Winnipeg, like the west, is in transition. With the discovery of oil at Leduc No. 1, the cities of Calgary and Edmonton increased their rivalry with both claiming they were the oil capital of Canada. The discovery also changed the path of both cities. Edmonton became increasingly blue-collar as workers flooded into the city, and the city would see its population rise rapidly. Corporate offices of companies were typically established in Calgary, though, with the city being a major rival to Houston as the energy capital of the world. Now, you remember Eric Harvey? Well, after oil was discovered and the boom began, he was worth over $100 million within five years and that's the equivalent to about $953 million today. The mineral rights had cost him $2,840. He would go on to use his money in a variety of ways, including opening the Glenbow Museum in Calgary and the Devonian Gardens in the same city. In 1962, he was made an honorary chief of the Blackfoot Nation, and in 1967, he was made an officer of the Order of Canada. Today, the Leduc No. 1 and the Leduc Woodland Oil Field are designated as a National Historic Site, and the Leduc No. 1 Energy Discovery Centre opened in 1997 to feature exhibits about the oil industry, as well as artifacts and equipment from those early days. Information comes from Wikipedia, Canadian Encyclopedia, CBC Archives, the Edmonton Journal, Adventurous Albertans, from Frontier Days in Leduc and District. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please give a rating and review. You can also reach me through email at CanadianHistoryX, that's E-H-X, at gmail.com. And you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history at CanadaX, again, E-H-X, dot blogspot, dot C-A.